So I'm excited again to be here, and um, I this afternoon I was just praying and asking the Lord um, if there was anything He wanted to change, anything He had to say to us as we're seeking Him together. And uh, I believe he, he gave me some direction for you at the end, so I'm going to be sharing that. But um, let's pray and go before him and ask him to bless his word. Father in heaven, we just thank you again. Uh, Lord, what a great weekend that you have provided and the way that you have met us in every single moment. Lord, you have met us um, in the depths of the deep. You have met us um, in every aspect of this retreat, Lord, from the moment We stepped into this room, Lord, and I know that you have a work that you want to do tonight in us, Lord. And so I pray that as we set our hearts before you and as we ask you to continue to seek us and to speak to us, that you will, because you say your word never returns void and it accomplishes its purpose. And so, Lord, have your way in this place as we, uh, your daughters, seek you again. And bless your word as it goes forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a Christian without knowledge is like a tree without having roots, isn't it? Now, this is my son and his, not that tree, but (laughs) he's very cute. This is my son and my grandson. That's my baby, the big one. And that's my little grandson, River. I can make a short story out of my grandkids' names. It's just one's Holland, one's River, one's Willow. Like, I can write a story about him. But this is my son, and his, he was a little ring bearer in his aunt's wedding. Now, River, he's dressed like his dad. And River, he wants to be so big. He really would like to walk down the aisle by himself. But River still needs somebody to hold his hand. And River still needs somebody to guide and direct him. And he needs his daddy's watchful eye to keep him from harm. Now, Scott, on the other hand, he has reached maturity. He's able to stand on his own two feet. And he's able, he has listened and he's obeyed the teachings of his dad. And so he is able now to be mature. And he is rooted and he has grown. And now he's producing fruit. And our topic tonight is rooted for growth, that God wants us not only as we step out in faith and trust him and start as that seedling, but now he wants us to take root and he wants us to continually grow in our walks one step at a time. If you would, would you turn to Matthew chapter 13 with me? Just keep your finger, that will be there in a minute. Now, roots have four major functions. And if you're taking notes, you can write them down. Number one is absorption. Number two is anchoring. Number three is storage. And number four is reproduction. What you see above ground in a tree is determined by its root system. So how do we establish a good root system? Because we know the roots aren't about the roots themselves, right? The root is dependent on the soil that it's planted in, and it needs to start and be in good soil. So let's start with Matthew 13 in verse 3. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and when he sowed, some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony place where they did not have much earth, 
and they immediately sprang up because they had no uh, depth. Um, they had no depth of earth, verse 6. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell on thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, and uh, yeah, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. And then I want to drop down to verse 18 where he explains the parable. Verse 18 says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. That is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony place, this one is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So first couple things that we want to notice is that the sower is the same and the seeds are the same, but the difference is in the soil. Now we talked about the major, um, the major functions of the root, and the first major function that I mentioned was absorption. And that first soil, the seed fell on hard ground, fell at the wayside. This is the one who hears the word. They have no understanding. It fell on a hard heart, fell on a hard heart. Literally, that's that, what that means is it's a manner of thinking, that our manner of thinking is off. And so when the word comes to us, when the seed is scattered, we have no understanding of it because our thinking has been wrong up until that point. That was me before I met Christ, before I took that step of faith. And when, when you don't know the Lord, the things of the Bible, they do seem foolish because you don't have that faith. You don't have the spirit within you to be able to be that, to bear witness to that. And so you do think those things are foolish. And the enemy, the, when the bird comes down and snatches it, the enemy comes fast because he knows you don't have understanding, so he just comes and sweeps that work away. Our devotional time, it should be a time almost of baptism. It's a time where we absorb. It's a time we're not just sitting down. It's like, oh, that's nice. Oh, what do I need to do today? Oh, I'm going to check this off. I'm going to check that off. Okay, now I'm going to go do laundry. No, it's a time where we need to, like we're doing here this weekend, we need to take in the word and we need to let it absorb into our soul. The second major function of a root is anchoring. And we see the second soil, the seed fell on stony or rocky ground. Now here is the one who hears it with joy. And we've all known people in different seasons, and we've all been in these seasons ourselves, in these soils. He hears it with joy, and it takes root for a little while, right? But then what happens? 
there's no depth. And so um, there's no staying power. And so whenever the word's challenged, whenever someone comes against the word, they stumble because they don't have any depth within them. This is he who accepts with joy, and that's it. No church, no fellowship, no Bible study, just no, no depth whatsoever. So then false doctrine comes. They have a shallow understanding, and they can't stand. Um, Jesus said another part um, just like this was a house. Do you remember he talked about the house being on a solid foundation or being on the sand? And he said, if you obey the word of God, it's like you, if you listen and obey, then you're like on a firm foundation. And when the storms come, your house won't move. But if you don't listen and you don't obey to the Lord, then what happens? It's like your house, it says you're foolish. And it's like your house is built on the sand. And so when the, when the storm comes, you're going to be knocked over. My husband was in the Philippines right after their last hurricane. And the Philippines is sandy. And he said it was just like these winds came in and the houses just went. Because they have absolutely no foundations. Churches were ruined. Houses were ruined because they were built on sand. Have you ever had a tree where you think like there's some life in it, but you're not sure? It, it kind of has maybe a few, like most of the trees that I take care of. Um, it has like a few things. And then you go over to see like, why, why is this so like, it, it just seems like it's, you know, dying. What's the thing? And you go to grab it and then it just like comes out. And there's no root system, right? It's like been a twig for three years and you didn't even know. You know? And there's, there's no root system. And you think, I had this lemon tree that did that and I had it in the ground. And I kept thinking like, well, maybe it's just need to get established, you know, like three years in. Like it didn't have any lemons ever. I don't even know. I think I had like the tag. That was the only way I knew that it was a lemon tree because <laughs> I left that on. <laughs> you know? And then you have this lemon tree and then you're like, okay, it is a lemon tree. And there's like a few green things. And then I finally went over there and like touched it and like just fell over. No roots, no nothing. So if we want to be rooted, we need to absorb and we need to be anchored in God's word. But that root, that lemon tree, you know what? It wasn't a root problem. The problem was the soil. The soil over there was hard, and it was impacted, and it was crushed in. So the root couldn't do what roots normally need to do because it had no, I, I don't know, I do not have a green thumb. So it was like, you know, it had no aeration, <laughs> if that's the right term. Um, the third major function of a root is storage. Now, this third soil it fell amongst the thorns. This is he who hears the word, but then the cares and the riches of this world choke him out. This is the materialism and success. I mean, this is America. This is America. We get choked out. And individually, we get, we get into the cares of this world, and the word gets choked out by our pleasures. Matthew six nineteen and through 21 says, Do not store up. Talking about storage, storing things. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. 
If you are storing the things of the world, if you're storing the things that give you pleasure, you're not going to have room for, for God. You know, it's not like the dessert compartment. You know how you have the food compartment, and then you have the dessert compartment, and that one can take on dessert? Like, it's not like that one. <laughs> you know, it's like a different one. Um, we won't have that room. Paul dealt with, um, well, I'll just ask you this. What do you treasure? Think through that. Take a walk with what, what do you treasure? And if you want to know what you treasure, look at your calendar. What are you spending your time on? Look at your checkbook. What do you spend your money on? That will tell you where your heart is. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Paul dealt with this idea of the rocky, thorny soil for the believers in the Corinth church. He says in 2 Corinthians six eleven and 12, Paul says, O oh, Corinthians... We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Paul's telling them, you know what? We have not restricted you. We as your leaders have been completely open with you. You're restricted because of the things that you have a selfish desire for. It's not us that restricts you. I'm here to tell you the biggest enemy in my life is this girl. It's the girl that I see in the mirror. This is the biggest enemy in my life. It's not the church's fault. It's not, you know, my husband's fault as much as I'd like to blame him. It's not someone else's fault. It's me. It's me. I'm like that tree, the soil in the tree. You know what? I'm compacted. You know, I'm just closed in. We get closed in by the world. And then we're not. I let that rob me of being established and grounded in the things of God. It's my desires that keep me away from my devotional time. It's my desires that keep me away from my prayer time. It's my desires that keep me away from Bible study or from church attendance. It's like, it's me. I have to do a work in my own life. I have to make different choices. What's the first thing that you pick up in the morning when you get out of bed? Is it Facebook? I know you're like, why do you got to hit the gas that hard, Brenda? (laughs) Right? Is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? Pinterest? What do you go to? The bathroom. Is it the bathroom? (laughs) David Guzik on this section of scripture on talking about affection for the world, says this. Sometimes we try to grow everything so that nothing grows well. Nothing grows well because we're trying to grow so many things. We are busier in this culture than ever before. We're so busy. I have moms in my church, like, they can't make it to Bible study because their kids are so busy in every activity of the day. They have no time for anything else. Zero time. We need to declutter our schedule so that we can make the time that we want to make for our spiritual house to be in order. The fourth major function of the root is reproduction. And this fourth soil, the seed, fell on good ground, fertile ground. The ground literally means moral, pure, or excellent. This is the one that hears the word of God, understands the word of God, and it produces fruit. Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest if you 
Do not lose heart. I love, love, love that verse, and I quote it to myself often. Brenda, don't lose heart. Because when you plant in the season of planting, the harvest could take a long time, and we have to be steadfast in that. But even in all this, isn't actual growth still a mystery? Have you ever contemplated a giant redwood that starts from a little seed? I mean, they're majestic. They're so huge. And you think, what causes that growth? But it's a mystery. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It's God that gives the increase in our lives. It's neither the, that one who planted is anything, neither the one that watered who any, is anything, but God. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart. It's I've treasured it in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's why we want to be memorizing scripture because then when we are going to do that thing, God can quicken that scripture to our hearts and we think, okay, I cannot do that. God's speaking to me that that's not right. That's why doctrine is so important. Well, we have to, in order for us to be able to grow roots, we have to tend the garden, right? We have to be able to tend to our lives as believers. So turn with me again. I just want to go through a few quick things in Second Peter. Chapter 1 again, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. Second Peter chapter 1. Verses 5 through 7, it's the additives for sustained growth. Verse 5 says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. What's the next word? Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly Kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. It says in there, give all diligence. If you're a note taker and you want to circle that, and nearby you can write. It implies making a strong effort to supply. We're to be diligent about adding these things to our life. We're to make a strong effort to add these things to our life. I just want to give you a quick, I don't know if you're like me, but I love just writing words, like circling it and then writing a word that helps me understand what that word says. So I'm going to give you a few little words that you can write. So virtue, it means moral goodness. Virtue is moral goodness. Knowledge, you can write just enlarged knowledge, a deep or enlarged knowledge of what is lawful or unlawful for Christian in moral and right living. A lot of times we'll ask ourselves, is this right or is this wrong? Well, the word's going to tell us because it says through knowledge we're going to be able to understand what's right and what's wrong for a believer in Christ. Self-control is one who masters her desires and passions. Perseverance or patience, it's a steadfastness. One who is not swerved. I would just write not swerved under perseverance godliness that's a reverence or respect towards god and then brotherly kindness it's the word phileo it's brotherly love sister to sister romans 10 12 says be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love in honor preferring one another there's another scripture that says giving uh just making sure that we're looking out for others interest 
And then finally, the last one is love. It's the word agape. It's just that unconditional love. Have you ever noticed that healthy roots, like a healthy plant, it takes so much tending? Like you have to cultivate it, and you have to put fertilizer on it, and you have to work it. But, oh my goodness, the root of bitterness, it will just crack up in any nook or cranny, right? Like it will grow in like the wall. You can't, you can't get rid of it. But that's how it is in our lives. Like bitterness, anger, they just spring up. But to tend and to do these things that we're supposed to add to our faith takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It's kind of like losing weight. It takes forever to lose a pound, and it takes like five seconds to gain 20. Like, how is that right? Heaven's going to be way different. We're going to all just eat what we want, be skinny. That's how that's going to go. Um, there is, um, I told this story when we were at Thrive, and if you heard it, forgive me, but the Lord just will not let me shake it, so I know that it's for somebody. But you know what? We need to submit to the molding process of God. God calls us his vessels, and he puts us on the wheel, and he uses life circumstances to mold us and to shape us, and he's making things out of us. But you know what? When we come to God with a hard heart, Sometimes he'll make what he can, but he doesn't make what he wants because we're not pliable in his hands. Now, how many of you, I was talking to an esthetician here, how many of you have ever had a chemical peel? Do you know what a chemical peel is? Okay, this was a bad idea for me. But So we were, we were talking about getting chemical peels. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, you actually paint acid on your face. It's a beauty tip. I don't know. Paint acid on your face. You wait as long as you can, and then you take it off, and then it turns red, and then you peel, and then your, ba- your skin's supposed to peel like a baby's bottom. I don't know. But my friend decides, she goes, you know what? It's so expensive. I think I could do it. <laughs> yes, she did. And I said, sweet. <laughs> Let's do it. So I go to her house. It was not a good idea. My friend, my other friend's going, don't. Don't let her do it. Like, don't do it. So we go over there, and she has the stuff, and she's painting on my face. Now, I'm like, I'm a wimp. So I'm like, okay, I can stand this. I can stand this. Okay, take it off. So we take it off. Well, okay, it's not a really good idea. Like, do yourself a favor. Do not Google um, face peels gone bad, like, right after you've had one. Like, I thought my face was going to fall off. No, like, literally, I, thought, I just had these visions, and there's pictures online of, like, skin, like, down here. And so I'm thinking, that's it. My face is off. Like, I've lost my face. I don't know what I'm going to do without a face. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. It's going to be, like, here. So the whole time that I'm thinking this, I start having, like, an anxiety attack in the middle of the night. I can't sleep now because I've let someone paint acid on my face. And so I'm laying in bed like this. Like, because I think that's going to hold my face up or something. Like, I'm just going to hold it up so that it doesn't, like, move. And maybe it'll reattach or something. (laughs) And the whole time, like, I have my cell phone out. And I would wake up panicked. Like, I'm not, this is, I'm not even embellishing this at all. Like, I wake up panicked, like, and I get my cell phone out. Put the little light out, like, and I even, this is really bad. But I put a mirror next to my bed. Like, I did. Just to see, like, at 3 in the morning, like, is my face still here? (laughs) So I would hold the light up, like, is my face here? And, of course, in the morning, like, nothing even happened. It was all, like, in my head, and 
you know, my face was fine, and it never looked like a baby's bottom, so I don't know what happened, but maybe I need professional help. But that's the process that, that needed to happen for that to happen, but you know what? I didn't trust that process, and that's how we are when we're being molded and shaped we, didn't, we don't trust the process. We don't trust ourselves in God's hand, and so he can't mold us and shape us. And I would venture to say that there are some in here, like, you've just gotten off the wheel. You've like, what's the point? I'm not even going to be on the wheel because nobody's molding me and nobody's shaping me. And you've gotten off, and you need to get back on the wheel. And let's be honest, we face some heart-wrenching trials in our lives, don't we? We face things that have disappointments attached to them and sorrow. Sometimes our own sin. Sometimes it's other sin. And sometimes we think, what is the point? Why go on? At Easter, we had an altar call, and I got to pray with this 20-year-old young girl. And her mom was a Christian, but her mom committed suicide in October. And here was this young girl, and that's exactly what she said to me. She goes, I have been not walking with the Lord. I had a strong relationship, but my mom killed herself in October, and I'm here to say, what is the point? It didn't work for her. And we feel that way sometimes. Like, it's working for everybody else, but it's not working for me. And I don't know what you're going through, but you know what? God does know what you're going through. He, he knows, and he wants to be there for you. Turn really quick to Psalm 126. We're going to look at verse 6. Psalm 126, verse 6. It says, He who continually goes forth in weeping, bears seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Underline that statement, continually goes forth. Weeping. Bearing means to lift up, to carry, to sustain, to endure. There's a commentary on this section of scripture, and I can't say it better myself. I usually don't like to read, but I'm going to read this section because it's so beautiful. It says, Suffering saints have a seedness of tears. They are in tears often. They share in the calamities of human life and commonly have a greater share in them than others. But they sow in tears. Weeping must not hinder sowing. When we suffer ill, we must be doing well. As the ground is by the rain prepared for the seed, and the husbandman sometimes chooses to sow in the wet, so we must improve times of affliction, as disposing us to repentance, prayer, and humiliation. Listen carefully. It says, There are tears which are them themselves, the seed that we must sow. Tears of sorrow for sin, our own and others. Tears of sympathy with the affliction, with the afflicted church. And tears of tenderness in prayer and under the word. These are precious seeds, such as the husbandman sows when corn is expensive and he has but a little for his family. He therefore weeps when he parts with it, yet he buries it underground in expectation of receiving it again with advantage. Thus does a good man sow in tears that he shall reap a harvest in joy. And the next line says, the tears won't last always. You need to hear that. 
The tears won't last always, and they will reap the benefit of their patient suffering. Job, Joseph, and David, and many others had a harvest of joy after a sorrowful seedness. Those that sow in tears of godly sorrow shall reap in the joy of a sealed pardon and a settled peace. I want you to turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to take a look at verses 9 and 10. It says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces a repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow are worlds apart. Godly sorrow leads us to repentance. Worldly sorrow says, I'm sorry, get over it, let's move on. Because we don't want to take a walk with our sin, we just want to get over our sin. Godly sorrow breaks your heart because it broke the heart of God and it leads to repentance. And that's the kind of sorrow that brings about a changed life. Hosea 4, 6 said, my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Finally, I want to go through a little bit of um, Isaiah. I actually want to read, if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to spend some time just reading through that. It says, I'm going to read it in the NLT version. It says, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that he was, his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. 
for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many that intercede, and he intercedes for the rebels. You know, a wilderness, we're talking about soils, and a wilderness is a very dry, a barren, and a very lonely land. And when we're in a spiritual wilderness, it's very lonely, isn't it? And it's very dry, and we feel far away from God. And we feel an emptiness within us, and we feel life closing in. Have you ever been in that situation where life's closing in, where you have an oppression? When, you know what I'm talking about, when it's hard to catch a breath. Have you been in those times where it's just hard to catch a breath? And maybe you're here and you're feeling that this weekend. You're feeling betrayed, or you're feeling rejected, you're feeling accused you're feeling wounded you're grieving all those things christ died for maybe you're here and you're experiencing friendly fire we don't see that one coming do we friendly fire maybe you're here and it's poor choices you know hagar she understood this didn't she when she was she was the maidservant to sarai and she was given to uh, abram to be the um to bring forth the promised child. And once Hagar already went, right, and she tried to run, and then God told her, nope, go back. You need to put yourself under submission. And then later when um, Ishmael was uh, mocking Isaac for when he was being weaned at the weaning celebration, um, Sarah, Sarah at that point had enough, and she sent her out, and she ended up in the wilderness. And she wandered aimlessly with her teen son with only bread and water. And when the water ran out, and you guys know in your lives there are times when the water just runs out. Have you been there? The water just runs out. And in her moment of despair, she did what any girl would do. She burst into tears. In her moment of despair, she burst into tears. That's the ugly cry. You know the ugly cry? You know the ugly cry. This was the ugly cry. Have you ever gotten on your knees and just had the ugly cry before God? Like, I'm desperate, God. This is the moment of my desperation. If you don't show up, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she was in that place, and God heard her cries. And he was there for her rescue. She was thirsty. Do you remember the woman at the well? Jesus, what did he say to her? He said, if you drink this water, you're going to thirst again. Don't drink from this well. Are you dry? Are you in that barren land when you're thirsty, but you're going to the wrong sources? You keep trying to fix the problem with everything else than the one who has the power to fix the problem. You know, sometimes we think of the dry and barren land. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes don't you think of it as a place that is void of God? You think of it like, okay, I'm dry, I'm weary, I'm void of God. But you know what? That is not the truth. Look again at um, Isaiah 53, 2. He is like a tender green shoot. Where? A root in dry ground. He is the God of the wilderness, too. He is the, the, in the dark and the lonely places. Denise talked to us about the depths of his love when it's dark. He's the God that hits those barren places. He's kind of the green in our brown. He's the life in death's valley. 
Anne Graham Lotz, in her book, Wounded by God's People, said this of Hagar. She desperately needed help. She couldn't go back, but she didn't know how to go forward, so she wandered. Sometimes we get stuck in that place, don't we? Like, we don't know, we don't want to go back, but we're not really sure how to go forward. That's exactly where Hagar was. And for many, you can't escape that dry and barren land. Sometimes we're, we're stuck there. That's where God has us. But we need to understand that his glory is there. You know, the Israelites were led by fire at night and by the pillar of cloud during the day, guiding them through the wilderness. You know, his glory is in the Holy of Holies, and his glory is in the desert. We get to see his glory Do you believe his report? Do you believe the things that he says within the word? On December 6th this past year, I was scheduled to uh, teach at a a women's Christmas luncheon. And I was weak. I I could not do it. On um, Thanksgiving night, we were all over at my son's, the one you saw in the picture, on Thanksgiving evening, and we were enjoying Thanksgiving. And my mom had, uh, for a couple of weeks, she had been sick. She had a cold. And so they thought that it was best since we have, uh, what I didn't tell you about all eight of those grandbabies is they're all under five. So, yeah, it's just been a pregnancy fest at the Leavenworth house. But she was sick, and so they didn't want her to come over. My sister's like, you know what, let's not have her come over and expose all the kids. She's not feeling well. Okay, so Ted and I decided we would take a uh, a plate over to my parents, you know, and we sat and I talked with her. And she was getting very stubborn at that point. She said, I don't, I don't want to go back into the hospital. She had about two years of heart stuff and going into the hospital. And um, she's like, I don't want to go back into the hospital. It was a holiday, you know, holidays, you know, everybody gets going. So We left there that night, and um, she was not feeling well. I said, Mom, will you at least let me take you to the doctor tomorrow to get you some antibiotics for your cough? Okay, I'll let you do that. Well, about an hour later, um, we get a call from my dad. Your mom's not breathing well, and I think that um, you should send. My sister went over um, because she lives with them, so she went over to their house. Well, by the time she got there, she met the paramedics there, and they were already doing CPR on my mother. And I rushed to the hospital, and at the time that they were coming in, um, I'm standing at the entrance of the hospital, and I hear the sirens come, and I know it's her. And as and I used to work in the emergency room, so I, I knew what was going on. And as they pulled in, I could see the paramedic on, on top of her doing CPR, and I lost it. And this was on um, November 27th. On December 3rd, we had her funeral. She passed away. And I was supposed to teach on December 6th. And I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? How am I even going to get through this? Like, I still can't hear a siren without having that, um, f- that memory flood back into my, my head. And... I'll never forget the moment that came out of my mouth. Lord, what will I do? Like you already knew that all this was going to happen. You already knew this when you, when you made the plans for this. And he spoke 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to me. And he said, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That was that seedness of tears. I was supposed to continue to sow through my seedness of tears. And I went that day out of obedience only. I went and I spoke. I had nothing to boast about. I had no gifts. I had no power. I had no wisdom. All I had was Jesus. He wants us to be transparent. He wants us to show people our weaknesses. He is our strength. You know, my mom that day, she didn't know that she was going to pass away. And I'm thankful for that. She literally walked into the bedroom, sat down, asked my dad, can I have a Tylenol? He went to give it to her. She literally rolled over and breathed her last. I mean, she loved the Lord. What a great way to go. I'm so thankful that she didn't know because it would have scared her. And, and then she just, she just laid down in her own bed, and it was such a blessing to be able to do that. The last picture I have of her, we were doing a worship night with Sherry Youngward and Gia Lucid, and someone texts me a picture, and it's from behind of my mom. My mom was 88, and it's just her hands up like this. And it was like probably two weeks before she passed away. And that's the last picture. God gave me that picture that night because he knew what I was going to be facing. And little did I know that, um, that I would be speaking. And um, that day, several people got saved at that Christmas outing, not because of anything I have, but because his power is made perfect in our weaknesses And I'm here to tell you that you do not know when you're going to breathe your last. Our life is not guaranteed, and it is but a vapor. It's here for a little while, and then it disappears. I want to give us um, some time for response, but I want to share with you what the Lord put on my heart earlier this afternoon. Um, First of all, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You know, in an actor's life, the pinnacle of their career is to win an Oscar. That Oscar is refined. There's like four different medals in an Oscar, and it's refined, and it's fired, and it's refined, and it's fired. And what comes out on the outside is 24-karat gold. I mean, they're beautiful. You've seen them. You've seen them. They're just gorgeous, and um, they've they've been melted by the fire. Um, The refining fire heats... Um, the metal to such a state that the metal melts and the impurities rise to the top and they can be pulled off. This is called the dross, right? Um, All the dirt, all the rubbish, all the worthless stuff that we have that separates us, that separates it from the gold at the washing and the melting and the refining. Has God given you some meltdowns? He's given me some meltdowns. Hasn't he given you some meltdowns? Maybe you had a few, but you haven't pulled off. You haven't allowed him to pull that dross off of your life. So 
I was reading in Ezekiel 22, and he says, so the fire temperature is increased. And he tells the Israelites that they have become dross. And in verse 21, it says, God blows the fire of his wrath um, against sin to heat the furnace seven times hotter. When God brings his people into the furnace, though, he sits with them. Just like that refiner sits with his gold. And I love Proverbs 25, and this is what the Lord gave me, Proverbs 25, 4. Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. You know what? We need to pull some dross off. Sometimes I think we like to hold on to those things, even though the Lord has put it on our hearts to get rid of that we haven't. And I really uh, I want the worship team to come back up, and I want to give you time to respond to what he said to us tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are good. Your mercies do endure forever. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Lord, we thank you that you have a powerful word that changes our hearts, that changes our lives. We thank you for that. I want to pray for each and every woman in here, and I know you're doing a work throughout this place. And I want to pray right now for maybe those who don't know you. I pray, Lord, that you would so uh, show them yourself, Lord, that they wouldn't be able to deny you. While we're in this attitude of prayer, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, I want you to know that God loves you. And we, when before we become a Christian, we have that spiritual seed coat, that veil over our eyes, and we don't understand the word of God. But when we take that step of faith and we ask him to come in, that's when he opens up the floodgates and we begin to understand his word. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The Bible says if we confess that Jesus is Lord with our mouths and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And right now, if that's you and God's speaking to your heart and you have never surrendered your life to him, would you just raise your hand where you're at? I would love to pray for you.